Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we look at the wide and wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have new stories, including a new Mahindra on the Australian market, Tesla cuts profit margins to make more sales, GWM shows electrification at the Shanghai Auto Show, and Alfa Romeo features an old concept design at the Milan Design Week. We continue reflecting on people's first cars or cars they drove some time ago, and our artist in residence, Dean Oliver notes that his first car was the Performance GTR Tirana, which led to a stern lecture from his bank manager. We have a listener's question, does SatNav systems favour toll roads? And that led to a number of comments about how people are using these mapping systems. And in our feature item, we were at the launch of the new Mahindra Scorpio N large SUV, and we chat to our good friend Paul Morell, a motoring journalist, and also to Joydeep Moitra, Mahindra's international manager for right-hand drive markets, who was in Australia for the launch. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and we now have an answering service that you can leave a message on or comment about the program. Just ring 02-8003-4295. That's 8003-4295. International code, of course, is plus 61 and area code is 2. And one subject this week is how do you use your sat-nav? Is it a help or a hindrance? This program was first broadcast on the 22nd of April 2023 and we begin with the news. Mahindra has sold vehicles in Australia since 2007, but only a ute model, which until recently was only available with a manual transmission. Needless to say, their sales were predominantly in rural areas. They have now launched a large SUV, the Scorpio N. It is designed as a true four-wheel drive with a ladder-frame chassis, low-range gearbox and a rear axle mechanically locking differential, and it serves this function well. It has a 2.2-litre four-cylinder turbo engine with moderate power, but quite good torque and a six-speed automatic gearbox. It has a tall upright stance with above-average window area on the sides. In recent years, some Indian manufactured vehicles have not had high safety standards, but Joydeep Amwatra, the international manager for right-hand drive markets, other than the home market, was in Australia for the launch. So government is pushing through regulation on safety, on emission. On safety, we literally had no regs a few years back. Last year, government brought in a reg on six uh, airbags. So they said it has to be six airbags compliant from so-and-so period. Similarly, regs are coming on on other things like A, B, etc. Still yet to come. So there is a little bit of a gap, but clearly we see the government is pushing through. Consumers are also, a lot of Indians are all well-to-do, middle class and above, all travel overseas, all have that exposure of the best products. So they are coming back home. They are expecting the best in the product. So there is no way manufacturers can cut corners or just remain in, a, in their comfort zone. Low pricing will have the benefit of enticing customers to a little-known brand. At launch, pricing, which is scheduled to last to the 30th of June 2023, 
has the base model Z8 at a drive-away price of just $42,000 and the upmarket Z8L at $45,000 drive-away. These prices are cheaper than around $8,000 to $20,000 plus than their likely competition. Tesla's financial report for the first quarter of this year has shown a decline in the profit margin per car as fierce competition from a wider range of manufacturers particularly discount companies such as BYD from China, starts to hit home. Tesla has had six price cuts on its Model Y in the US, with prices now 9% lower. The Driven online newsletter has now said that, quote, Elon Musk has thrown down the gauntlet to the car industry, saying that Tesla could sell its cars at zero profit and make money on autopilot technology. Something Musk says other car manufacturers would be unable to match. Comparisons as to which car company has the best autonomous technology needs to be evaluated by more than just who has the best marketing. The winner of the VHS beta debate proves that the best technology is not always the winner. Tesla continues to call its technology autopilot, an expression that a number of authorities thinks is misleading and, at best, should be called semi-autopilot, and other manufacturers are moving fast. The UK government, for example, has now approved drivers of the new Ford Mustang to let go of the steering wheel whilst driving on a motorway. In 2020, sales in Australia of GWM, Great Wall Motors, vehicles grew 36%, and for the first quarter of 2023, sales are up 184%. They're still only 13th in total sales, but they are moving up fast. And they do this based on three models only, the Jolion small SUV, the GWM Utes, and the Haval H6 SUV. But internationally, they have a much broader fleet and they are striving to push various forms of electrification. At the 20th Shanghai International Automotive Industry Exhibition, GWM unveiled their five major brands of Haval, Tank, Aura, Power and Way. Their new product lineup on display included the Haval Medium SUV, dubbed Fierce Dragon Max in Chinese markets, which is the first model equipped with the hybrid intelligent four-wheel drive. The new 6x6 version of the Power including the high-performance hybrid and plug-in hybrid pickup models. Then there was the world debut of the Tank 400 plug-in electric vehicle, a medium-to-large luxury off-road SUV to be sold worldwide. Their Way brand is focusing on zero-anxiety intelligent electric with the first MPV Goshen plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And finally, Aura has released two pure electric vehicles. Car companies often present a design concept at a motor show, which seems to be aimed at getting a news report feature rather than a prelude to a production model. Motor shows can be like fashion parades. Designers go over the top to get attention without ever intending for the item on display to be part of everyday life. As part of the week when Milan celebrates design, Alfa Romeo is featuring one of its most precious gems. It's not new. It's the 1968 Alfa Romeo Carabo. The low-slung two-door sports car's most obvious feature is a very long, almost flat, 
very square chisel nose that protrudes so far as to make a platypus jealous. It's a design for the times, but I think has a greater longevity than, say, flared pants. The exclusive event that brought Alfa Romeo into Milan Design Week was the opening of the La Rusmiani Boutique. Alfa Romeo and La Rusmiani are ambassadors for Made in Italy around the world. Alfa is now a subsidiary of Stellantis, a multinational automotive manufacturing corporation headquartered in Amsterdam. The main product facility for Alfa is Casano, Italy, where the vast majority of the company's cars are assembled. However, there are also plants in Brazil, Mexico and the United States. And that has been the news. We've had an inquiry from Guy Brooks. He's a presenter here on 99.3. He delivers blues radio on Thursdays, 7 to 9 p.m. I love the blues. Now, his question was about sat-nav systems and whether there is some contrivance to pick toll roads as the desired routes. He said, quote, As the tolls are expensive and not necessarily the most direct way to the destination, or even the quickest, do toll road companies pay to have their tolls come up first in searches? And what is the best way to use Google Maps if you don't want to use toll roads for your trip? Well, I'm very confident that toll companies don't pay to select their route, but you can option Google Maps and others to avoid toll roads. You go to the settings and it usually gives you a choice, perhaps even to avoid dirt roads as well, if you so choose. The best route they pick is not necessarily the shortest in distance, but should be the shortest in time. And if your car system is linked to the internet, some maps will take into account the real-time traffic conditions. This can certainly happen if you are not using a car system, but have plugged in Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. I asked a few of my mates from my traffic engineering days about any thoughts they might have. Alan Finlay, who's a very good traffic engineer with a great attention to detail, said... Although I have sat-nav systems in both family cars, I rarely use it in Sydney because I know the road network quite well. I'm also a bit old school. I like to research a route using Google Maps rather than a street directory before I go somewhere. Oh, that is a significant difference between him and me. He goes on so that I might have a mental map of my intended route. Well, there's another difference too. I get a mental map which will only last a few seconds in my brain before some other distraction pushes it out. He says, though, one of the issues with SatNav is the need to continually update the mapping database at a cost. This is for those fixed systems in a car, and because he might not have updated, he said, I have found myself, apparently, driving across green fields when using some of the latest North Coast Road upgrades on the Pacific Highway. I have noticed that Google Maps does not always recommend the tolled route, but rather the shortest time available. He then gives an example of travelling from a southern Sydney suburb to the north and being directed through the city centre on a variety of arterial roads. He does say that is no doubt the shortest route and usually the quickest, but I prefer to use the longer M2 and North Connex option, even though it costs more, because I prefer the smoothness and predictability 
of the Tower Roads. I have previously had horror trips on the old Pacific Highway between Chatswood and Warunga. He did say, I quite like the idea of Satnav providing the full choice, distance, estimated time and toll cost, so long as the driver is not unsafely distracted by all the on-screen information. A final warning about sat-nav route options. The shortest route is sometimes very dangerous. My VW system, he says, has sometimes recommended what I would call suicidal right turns at uncontrolled intersections onto busy arterial roads. Now, another colleague who held more strategic planning roles in government road authority said that he drives an older car that has a sat-nav but he refuses to pay for the upgrades and, like Alan, quite enjoys a perverse pleasure in driving through what the system thinks is paddocks, but is rather a new freeway. That actually reminds me of a point. I heard a friend say that when they were apparently, digitally, driving through a paddock, their car thought they were in trouble and automatically slowed the vehicle to a halt. Some more detailed comments came from our colleague Graham Patterson, who said, I have been using Google's Android Auto in my car for five years. I think that is what most people refer to as Google Maps. It automatically updates the maps and sometimes tells me I must update the program if I want to continue using it. Both updates are free. If I am going somewhere remote with no mobile phone coverage, I can download the maps for that region onto my phone before I leave coverage. Same on a tablet. He goes on to say, Before I bought my present Subaru, I was looking at a Mazda, but they wanted $600 for each map upgrade, which was unique to their car. That was the number one reason I didn't buy a Mazda, and I told them so in writing. He goes on to say, I use the system in Sydney as it can find better ways through difficult suburbs and congestion than I can despite my driving around Sydney for 55 years. I know a number of friends who avoid toll roads, not because of the cost, but because they hate being alongside high-speed big trucks. One other thing, some cars that I've recently tested have a built online connection that now shows the nearest petrol station and the current price they are charging for normal unleaded. How do you cope with navigation systems? Do you use new digital technology or old-fashioned maps, local knowledge, historical knowledge, or just guesswork? Send us your comments to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au or you can leave a message at 02-8003-4295 which could lead to your voice being on the program, if you wish. And our home station, 99.3 FM, we now have a new website at the traditional address, northsideradio.com.au. You can go to the Overdrive program and send us a comment on the form at the bottom of the program description. You're listening to Overdrive. We continue our listener feedback with the issue of what car were you driving as your first vehicle and or the vehicle you were driving 40 years ago. Our artist in residence, Dean Oliver, began his motoring ownership with a performance bang. I think 1972, David, I was having this passionate love affair with Holden Taranas and the Holden dealer team and uh, 
Uh, yeah, the first car, I got, I got my first job, earned some real money, which was, I think, around the 60 to $70 a week, which was pretty extraordinary. And it was a GTR Tirana. It was, the only one I could get was metallic pink. It wasn't real pink, it was more purple. Uh, Dad's Kingswood was purple. That was Chateau Mauve. But the, the, <laughs> the, the GTR was called Orchid, and it was a, like a meca metallic pink colour. But anyway, the main thing was, it wasn't my colour choice, but it was a GTR Tirana, and that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I was, I was Colin Bond. You know, I was destined to drive for the Holden dealer team. Anyway, so bought the GTR, brand new, first car. Fancy buying a new car for your first car. Crazy. But uh, it meant uh, borrowing money from the rural bank as it was in those days. And uh, uh, I got a stern lecture from the manager of the bank branch uh, who uh, impressed upon me the idea of responsible saving, <laughs> and, uh, which was a concept that I think... Uh, I still quite haven't mastered, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah I, I got a real. It was a very valuable lesson from the bank manager, really, about uh, responsible saving and um, uh, not being an idiot. I think, which he clearly thought I was. Not an ex-UA. No, as much as I in my dreams, but getting insurance as a twenty-one-year-old um, in 1972 was pretty well impossible. I think. And uh, the GTR was the only, I could just afford it, but I could also just barely afford the insurance. And uh, I mean, you couldn't get insurance as a, in, for 20s, uh, as a 20 year old for an XU1, it just wasn't possible. So yeah, I got the, got the GTR and uh, loved driving it. Uh, 202 six cylinder motor, four speed manual, <coughs> cross ply tires, back brakes that locked up at the mere touch of the, the pedal. I let you drive it a couple of times too. What on earth was I thinking? <laughs> and we've got the photos to prove it. <laughs> You're listening to Overdrive. This is Overdrive across Australia. Mahindra is a large Indian conglomerate that does things such as logistics, trucking planning and so on, IT, tractors. I believe they're the largest producer in volume of tractors in the world, probably more base model uh, tractors than others, but they also build cars. They came to Australia with their tractors in 2005 and their car, just a ute, in 2007, they're now moving into the SUV market. The Scorpio N was just launched, and my good friend Paul Morell was there from SeniorDriverOz.com, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Paul. Hello, David. Lovely to be able to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a little while. Now, this is a large SUV, and they're talking about it as being capable off-road. Where is it most comfortable, on the on the bitumen or off-road? It's an interesting one, isn't it, David? Obviously, um, obviously an off-road vehicle used on-road is a compromise, or an on-road vehicle used off-road is a compromise. Uh, in this case, we were given the whole story about it being so capable on both. Um, our experience, my experience, was pretty much that it, it felt like it had been pretty much tuned to be off-road more than on-road. It has a, a few features, but a few that uh, um, it doesn't have. 
Um, what would be some of those that maybe for the on-road comfort? Um, it has. It's incredibly well equipped. But like all of these things, you look at it. You look at a, a list of features, and you say, oh, "Well, it's got this and this and this and this and this, which is great." And you go, "But it hasn't got this and this and this and this and this, which may not suit all buyers." I mean, for example, I mean the on the off-road thing is it's so well equipped for off-road. It's got auto-engaged diff lock. It's got electronic brake locking diff. It's got four-mode um, control. All fabulous. But then, of course, for a lot of people who are driving backwards and forwards, it doesn't have speed sign identification on the screen. It doesn't have blind spot monitoring. It doesn't have adaptive cruise control. I mean, even down to something as basic as uh, a steering column adjustment, it goes up and down, obviously, but it doesn't have adjustment for reach. I mean, these things are the sort of things that I guess we start to expect for mm. off-road vehicles, well, for all vehicles, not just off-road vehicles. And it's going to be very much a matter for buyers to decide how they're going to use the vehicle, first and foremost, and then what particular features are important to them. Hmm. What particular features are important to them, I think, is a wonderful comment. I'm doing some stuff with people that have bought cars for one specific point and for all the technical term, whiz-bangery, that uh, we think about in the car. One guy, a few years ago now, it had to have a USB plug because he liked to play podcasts and music. Mm. You know, now we expect that now, but that's why he bought a car and why he didn't buy, in this case, a Mazda. And he wrote to them and said, I'm not buying your car because it doesn't have this very feature. It's, in, it's interesting, isn't it? Isn't what it? really suits you. But the thing about the all-wheel drive off-road adventure is what they want to talk about is that you've got to get there. And yeah. that often, yeah. often means driving some distance on bitumen roads that you want them to be moderately comfortable for. Exactly. Uh, I think that's the point. But nonetheless, off-road, it, it, uh, it did well and uh, to a high degree of comfort, really. It did an amazing job, David. I mean, I guess, I guess it's interesting with Mahindra because it's a company that probably well, probably you certainly I have not had a great deal of experience with uh, we tend to approach the vehicle this new vehicle with a clean slate there are no preconceptions so we have to judge it on its merits as in you get in it and you drive it and you're not going oh it's going to be this or it's going to be that uh, and this one this one was incredibly impressive off-road um, it does a lot of things remarkably well and you know basically if I hope that people who go to, to buy it approach it the same way you and I did, with that sort of sense of I'm not going to prejudge it, I'm going to accept accept it on its values. Um, then they will sell a lot of these things. Um, but on the other hand, I think you'll find that the hardcore off-roaders, the Jeep Wrangler drivers, the um, some of the Toyota drivers, I mean, these guys who are serious off-roaders probably won't even consider them Hindra because it, it's just not going to be on their radar. At the launch of the Mahindra Scorpio N, they provided us with an opportunity to drive both on sealed roads and a wide range of off-road situations. A number of local executives were there, but also Joydeep Moitra, who is the international head of a right-hand drive markets for Mahindra, 
except the home market in India, and who sees Australia as an important part of their market potential. You mentioned the, the notion of being seen to be sophisticated. Do you think the Indian perception and their, their general uh, stance in terms of technology is maturing, is, is becoming more sophisticated? Oh yes, customers are getting really sophisticated in as far as not just product experience, but also sales experience, after sales experience in India. There's a huge amount of tech that is going especially into both sales and after sales. Mm. Uh, really days of folks going over to the workshop, engaging with the service advisor, taking an appointment, etc. is all gone. People expect to take an online it's become like uh, Amazon, for example. You you want to take an online reservation. You want somebody to come to your doorstep, mm. pick up the car, tell you exactly what they are fixing on the car, mm. give, you an, give you an estimate. Mm. You pay online, send the car back to the customer. So yes, I mean, there is no physical interaction. Consumers have gone to that stage. So... Really, the, we are seeing consumer journey to becoming more and more sophisticated. People also within the vehicle, the expectations of, of is not just in terms of that, oh, this is a vehicle and it will just serve a functional purpose. There is this expectation that what else addition does the vehicle do for me? So clearly from Mahindra's standpoint, we believe our products should offer design that is head-turning and compelling experience on four wheels, especially as an SUV, give that SUV drive feeling, make him feel like the king of the road. And clearly, from a tech perspective, offer them contemporary tech beat on... And there's government pressure for that too, as environmental standards, oh, safety yes. standards. Oh, yes. India is moving forward quickly in that oh, area? Yes. India has leapfrogged. See, in 2018, if I recollect, we were behind Australia. Australia, It was Euro 5, we were kind of equivalent of Euro 4. We leapfrogged to Euro 6B equivalent two years back. Mm. And in two years, the government has now forced us to go to uh, Euro 6D real drive emission uh, equivalent kind of uh, regulation. So government is pushing through regulation on safety, on emission. On safety, we literally had no regs few years back. Last year, government brought in a reg on six-seaters, uh, six uh, airbags. So they said it has to be six airbags compliant from so-and-so period. Similarly, regs are coming on on other things like A, B, etc. Still yet to come. So there is a little bit of a gap, but... Clearly, we see the government is pushing through. Consumers are also, a lot of Indians are all well-to-do, middle class and above, all travel overseas, all have that exposure of the best products. So they are coming back home. They are expecting the best in the product. Mm. So there is no way manufacturers can cut corners or just remain in, a, in their comfort zone. Is it important for Mahendra... Is it important for Mahindra to be able to show its breadth of activities to show that it's, it's got that depth? You do some IT stuff. I think you're getting even some contracts out of the UK and things. What, what are some of those? 
So clearly, uh, Tech Mahindra has been very strong in uh, in writing software for telecom. They've gone into banking, etc. But that's a different group subsidiary. Tech Mahindra has also been working with a lot of the vehicle OEMs. That's an independent business, so they've taken done some design work for uh, some of our uh, our, our uh, lead European brands also, and. Uh, our own capability in terms of focusing on not just product quality but electronics for example semiconductors all of this has taken huge leap in the last two to three years time frame and you begin tractors and we are of course begin tractors tractors for us uh, it's of course by volume it's large uh, 400,000 tractors for the Mahindra group in total last year but it's also important because uh, it's Especially if you look at, consider utes, it's an industry which is just adjacent to tractors. So there is a lot of synergy that we have always derived from. And the full interviews with Paul and Joydep can be heard on our website, drivenmedia.com.au, where they go into more detail and more understanding about where this car may fit in the market. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Dean Oliver, Paul Morell, Joy Deep Moitra and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can leave a comment by emailing feedback at drivenmedia.com.au or a phone message at 028003 Add the international code of plus 61 if you're ringing from outside Australia. If in doubt, go to our website, drivenmedia.com. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.